0: Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
1: <clears> at <throat> connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream.
2: memphis surgeon is gunned down in his own exam room why I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Series XM 111. Take a listen to our friends at WREG.
1: Exclusive viewer video shows Collierville police running intensely to find the suspect. as sirens blare signaling the large response to the scene. Susan Baker had just entered with her family when the chaos started. Someone's not going home to their family tonight. They could have been... Anyone of us who are in the clinic
2: today? Can you imagine going to your doctor's office, taking your children there, sitting there in the waiting room, thumbing through magazines, looking at your phone when you hear shots ring out and then all H-E-double-L breaks loose? The most you can do is die for your children to try to save them, nobody knowing what's going on? This surgeon, a uh, seemingly beloved Husband and father, a well-known surgeon in the Memphis area, gunned down in his own office in an exam room when patients attack. Why? With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now, but Take a listen to our friends at WMC TV.
0: Collierville Police Chief Dale Lane says a patient of Campbell Clinic on Poplar shot and killed an employee around 2 p.m. Tuesday afternoon. Clinic officials confirm the victim is orthopedic hand surgeon Dr. Benjamin Mock. So
3: this appears to be a one-on-one interaction that occurred in an
2: exam room. It's not the first time a healthcare professional, a doctor, a nurse have been attacked by patients, including patients' husbands and wives. But why? Take a listen to our cut 24 from W.A.F.B.
3: We are getting now our first look at the patient accused of attacking a nurse who died days later. That is Jesse Guillory, charged with manslaughter after the April 4th attack. Investigators believe he attacked a nurse there, Baton Rouge General uh, Lynn Trixio. Autopsy results show she died from blood clots in her legs lungs
2: those clots resulting from a vicious attack on her in that case a female nurse was attacked and then died Now take a listen to Our Cut 25, KABC. An LAPD SWAT team
0: forced their way into a room where this man had barricaded himself, but not before he stabbed three people, two nurses and a doctor. Now the suspect, a man in his 30s, walked into the emergency room. He asked to be treated and then turned on the staff. The three
2: injured were rushed to trauma centers, suffering from critical injuries. Now... In the current case, the case-in-chief where the top Memphis hand surgeon was murdered, shot dead in his own exam room, we are now learning police are saying that his murder, Dr. Benjamin Mock's murder, was a, quote, targeted attack. Again, not the first time nurses, doctors have been the target of murder. Take a listen hour cut 26
3: ZDOGG. And we hear about the nurse who died at, or who, who's in uh, um, uh, critical care after being shot in South Carolina. We hear about EMS workers attacked in the Pacific Northwest. And now the story out of Baton Rouge General Hospital where a nurse was attacked by a patient on a behavioral health unit. And a lot of this is speculation, but even the overall arch of this repoints out how we are devaluing our frontline healthcare professionals, putting them in harm's way, and expecting our healers to make the ultimate sacrifice in service for their patients.
2: Right there, you're hearing Dr. Zubin Demania speaking on TikTok about attacks on nurses and doctors. Right now, the Memphis community is reeling after somehow a patient armed with a handgun, worms his way through the waiting room, through the receptionist area, gets back into an exam room, and then at the first opportunity, unloads, murdering Dr. Benjamin Mott. Dr. Angela Arnold with me, renowned psychiatrist, joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction. You can find her at AngelaArnoldMD.com. Dr. Angie, thank you for being with us. Do you ever fear?
0: your own patients well Nancy i'll tell you something it's my fear is growing it, i don't typically fear my own patients because i have a you know i have a good system of routing out people who i feel are dangerous to come and see me but other doctors don't have that other doctors don't have that same ability because if you're a hand surgeon people are going to come to you and you don't get to pick and choose who your patients are. So yes, there are, and I mean, Nancy, I cannot tell you how sick I am right now. I'm from Memphis and Campbell's clinic was part of, was in part of my training and, he, and the reg, people don't understand how long it takes to become a hand surgeon. And then somebody just walks in and shoots him in the exam room dead. And I can imagine what this may have been over. OK, it may have been over something as simple as they weren't refilling his pain medications. And so he felt the need to get back at the doctor and kill him. But he has taken a life that is that means so much in that community. It will take years, years just to replace this man just for the, for the good that he has done in his community, it, his family will never get over this. Can you imagine going to work one day and being shot dead? This is not why we go into medicine. We go into medicine to help people. We have all of our best intentions when we become doctors. And now we have to be scared to go to work, Nancy. Actually, Dr. Angie, I can
2: imagine it because that is what happened to my fiance, Keith. He went to work and he was gunned down dead on his way, bringing back everybody on the work crew sodas and drinks to go with their lunch. So yes, as a matter of fact, I can't imagine it. I think part of the the shock and the difficulty absorbing what happened is that it seemed like a perfectly normal day. And it's hard, it's as if, the mind is tricking the eye because everything seems normal, and then suddenly your whole world is torn apart. When you say that you can screen out certain patients that you believe could hurt you, why are you saying other doctors
0: cannot do that, don't have that same luxury? Well, because, Nancy, you know, when you're a surgeon and, and people, they don't have the same barriers to entry that I do in my practice. I have, a, I have a small private practice, and I am very able to pick and choose the patients that I feel like I can help and they can come to see me, okay, for, for a lot of different ways that I run my practice, all right, that I won't get into here. But other doctors don't have that luxury because they aren't making their own schedules, Someone someone schedules the patient at the front desk. The patient comes in for surgery. They don't have the kind of barriers to entry that I do. And it's and it's because of the kind of medicine I practice. Surgeons don't have those kind of barriers.
2: Guys, take a listen to Hour Cut 3, our friends at WREG.
1: It has been a very chaotic day here in Carnival as the town mourns the loss of a doctor shot and killed by a patient in his care. Tonight, many hearts are aching at the loss of Dr. Benjamin Malk, an orthopedic surgeon. Collierville police say he was shot and killed by a patient Tuesday afternoon inside the Campbell Clinic on Poplar Avenue. It's
3: bad. It's horrific. It's terrible. Uh, And, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the family.
2: Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we are trying to make sense of what we know right now regarding the brutal murder of a top hand surgeon. Attacked in his own offices in Memphis. Joining me, as I said, an all-star panel. But first, I want to go to chief investigative reporter with DailyMail.com, Jen Smith. Jen Smith, we are learning that apparently the perp had been lying in wait outside the doctor's offices for hours before gaining entrance and
4: access to that back
2: exam room.
4: I mean, how terrifying is that, Nancy, for not just the victim here, but everyone who worked there and all the other patients. We don't know where specifically he was lying in wait, if it was outside the clinic. It's called the Campbell Clinic in Collierville, which is around a 30-minute drive east of uh, downtown Memphis. We don't know if he was outside the clinic, if he was in the waiting room. We don't know any of that, but one other thing we have heard is that this wasn't the first time this perp was known or had, you know, visited this clinic. According to some of the people who worked here, Nancy, he had been threatening Dr. Malk and other people potentially in the clinic for over a week before this happened. But you're right, he was lying in wait. He, you know, thank God, didn't take it upon himself to harm anyone else, because this was a busy, working, normal day. There were plenty of people coming in and out. And, and, and like the authorities said, he, he had designs on this one surgeon, and once he got his opportunity, he took it. What do we really
2: know? About the surgeon, he was billed in the headlines as Hi being, guys, quote, here. a top Join us hand surgeon in Memphis. Special but what do we really know? An Take a listen to our cut by one. Day. Fox,
5: Dr. But Benjamin Mock, according to an article in a Memphis magazine, knew he wanted Are to be an orthopedic specialist from the time he was a crimes? teenager. What he told the magazine he grew up in Savannah, Tennessee, and saw a doctor help his and sister recover from a sports the injury, and that's when he knew. Killers. He wanted to help people and become a physician.
2: Campbell Clinic says that he would go on to graduate from
5: Lambeth University in Jackson, then go to the University of of Tennessee here in Memphis. Back to Jen
2: joining us. Jen is the chief investigative reporter with DailyMail.com. Don't miss this. What more do we know about this doctor who loses his life back in his own offices in an exam room? Well, like you just heard there from the he was incredibly dedicated
4: to his profession really passionate about what he did. He wanted to help people. And he was absolutely revered, beloved by this community. You know, since the news of his death emerged, dozens, if not hundreds of people have come out to say how much they loved him and, you know, really trusted him. But, you know, the more tragic element here is that he was also a family man. He has a wife. Her name is Rhiannon. And they had two very young children. So they are now left dealing with the fallout from this. Um, but all around, a stand up man, prominent, respected physician, and much loved father and husband.
2: What could be a possible motive for someone to lie in wait and then somehow wrangle a spot back in an exam room while armed to attack the doctor, shooting him dead? What could possibly be the motive? When you don't know a motive, which, of course, is not required. It's not required to show motive to a jury. Uh, the prosecutor is never uh, asked to crawl into the mind of a killer and sort it out. But f- practically speaking, jurors want to know why. When a scenario may not make sense to them, they want the reasoning behind it. Why is it, Matthew Mangino? Matthew Mangino, joining us, high-profile lawyer, former prosecutor, district attorney in Lawrence County, and author of The Executioner's Toll. You can find him at mattmangino.com. Why is it that in a legal sense, we don't need to know the motive behind this murder? Why is that?
3: Well, uh, you know, the law does not require that, that there be necessarily a motive proven to a jury as to why a, you know, a murder, for instance, occurred. Um, but it's human nature, Nancy, that, that people want to know why. They they want to fill in those blanks. Whether they're required uh by law or instructed by a judge that they don't have to do that, they they wanna understand. They want to understand why this occurred and and what motivated it and why would somebody walk into a doctor's office and, and gun him down. Um, you know, so so while it's not required, juries wanna know. And and I think prosecutors are very attentive to that. They want to be able to, to to answer that question for jurors because it's it's so important to understand why something so so ca- horrific, so catastrophic, could happen to another human being.
2: But of course, it's not required under the law. Wouldn't you agree with that, Matthew Mangino?
3: It's not required. Uh, it's not required. You don't. You, the, the prosecution does not have to prove. A murder for the motive. In, in this case, someone walks in, the gu- in with the gun. They shoot somebody in the vital part of their body. That person dies. That's a homicide. That's that's first degree murder. That intent can be created very quickly. You don't have to show why it happened. Only that it did happen, and and there's a person who's responsible for
2: it. Now there have been some cases where motive ultimately became clear. We're talking about a patient. That murders a top hand surgeon in Memphis, lying in wait for hours, then gaining access to an exam room, then shooting the doctor dead. I want you to take a listen to Our Cut 17 in a case where motive was made
0: very apparent. This is from Fox 4. The medical community in Tulsa reeling from Wednesday's deadly shooting on the second floor of a St. Francis Health System building where 45-year-old Michael Lewis from Muskogee, Oklahoma, gunned down four people, including
1: his orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Preston Phillips, who performed back surgery on Lewis less than two weeks ago.
5: He blamed Dr. Phillips for the ongoing pain
0: following the surgery. That motive made clear by a letter Tulsa police say they found on the shooter after he took his own life. He came in with the intent to
2: kill Dr. Phillips. Wow, joining us is Dr. Jean Gorniak, medical examiner in Clark County, that's Las Vegas, board certified forensic pathologist. Dr. Gorniak, thank you so much for being with us today. Explain to me what Consistent and unstoppable pain can do to a person. It, it seems like in that case, uh, in Dallas Fort Worth, it made the patient go out of their mind. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Absolutely. So, some, pa- especially if it's like back pain, I and mean, that's really debilitating to some folks, where medication doesn't work or you're, depending on your age, when you can't do your normal daily activities, like get out of bed without pain, sit down in a chair, go to the bathroom, or even drive. So it's not only the pain, but it's also loss of your quality of life. So I remember one time I had an earache and that pain was so terrible, you know what I mean? And and it was just an earache. Um, but I was able to get it, it get it treated. But I can't imagine where you're in pain to the point where you have to have surgery to fix it, and then it doesn't fix it. The pain is there. Nothing is helping. And then your quality of life is diminishing. I think, you know, it really gets to some people.
2: Or, on the other hand, in the Dallas-Fort Worth case where the patient murdered his doctor, maybe... The killer was addicted to pain pills and
5: because of that addiction was out of his mind. Ab- absolutely. And so you, you, the, as a forensic pathologist and the opioid epidemic that we are living with now, um, doctors are in a very difficult you know, position um, having to treat their patients for pain. But at the same time, measuring and making decisions on whether patients are really in pain or are they just wanting the pain medication? Um, and everybody's different. Um, there's a story or uh, research where, you know, women are not given the opiates like they need, even though um, male counterparts with the same symptoms are, are getting those pain meds. So it's a difficult position, and I don't treat live patients. So in, in that sense, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't have to make that decision. But it is a tough decision on assessing your patient's pain, um, and then to treat it or not to treat it. How
2: did this guy get access to a renowned hand surgeon, a top surgeon in Memphis? How did he get back into an exam room with a gun? You know, to Dr. Angela Arnold, a psychiatrist joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction,
0: have you ever been afraid of a patient? I have. What happened? Well, I've been attacked by patients in the hospital setting. Fortunately, there were police around that were able to help me because I've worked on a psychiatric ward. I worked at Grady, and that's where I trained. And, Nancy, I'm not sure if your viewers know this, but Grady Hospital has the largest psychiatric ward in the country. And while we were training, we would be, we would be put on call at night to take care of all of the patients that came in. And we also had to take care of the patients that came in from the prisons. And before, before we had, there weren't always um, metal detectors. And so you would just go out, get the patient from the waiting room. One patient put his arms around my neck and started trying to choke me while we were walking down the hall. And thank God there was this big, huge police officer. We call him Big Al. And he, and this did, I mean, I got attacked several times if you want to know the truth. I do want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. The whole truth. Yeah, I've been attacked several times in the hospital and I was attacked one time in the hospital and a couple of times in the psychiatric hospital in Memphis. Um, So it's certainly not something that I am not unfamiliar with and I have had, and as my private practice has progressed, there have been times, you know, all the doors remained locked, remain locked before anyone can get in to see me. But there have been times when patients who were actually very drug seeking And I can, and I can pinpoint those pretty quickly have come in and they are, and they are particularly scary to treat. And it's oftentimes very hard to get them out of your office. And I'll tell you, when drug addicts are drug seeking, Nancy, they will do anything they can to get their drugs. And now as we, and I truly believe that this man, because I know how orthopedic offices work sometimes people go to an orthopedic surgeon to have surgery so that they can actually acquire pain medicines after the surgery.
2: So they go through a surgery with the
0: intent of getting the pain meds after. Yes. I'm not sure if that's what happened in this case, but I do know that at orthopedic surgery offices, there are people who work there who their only job at the orthopedic surgeon's office is to field calls from patients who are desiring Their medications typically early and they want more medication it would not surprise me at all if this human being thought that the doctor was the person who was stopping him from getting his medication and so he was out to kill this doctor because he in his mind he thought that the doctor was preventing him from getting his medication
2: if that is in fact the motive dr angela arnold who has been attacked on multiple occasions by patients you mentioned one patient tried to strangle you to choke you
0: how did that happen there was no protection we were at a we were at a very busy city hospital except we did have police officers there but the patient saw my name on my on my white coat he wanted medication i'm quite sure he was a little bit out of his mind and he he literally just charged me in the hallway nancy and put his and put his arms around my neck and started shaking me and saying doctor arnold give me my medications and i called for the police officer who was a very Large man, thank God. And the police officer made him take his arms, his hands off of me and, um, and you know, took him away after that. Right. A top Memphis hand surgeon shot
2: dead in his own exam room by a patient who had lain in wait. We're looking for a motive as his wife and children try to navigate a new normal without their husband and what their husband and father what more do we know about The doctor. Take it to listen to our cut to our friends at Fox
5: 13. He would do his residency at UT Campbell Clinic. Campbell Clinic is where he also would go on to work as a hand, wrist, and elbow surgeon. The magazine says at Campbell Clinic, he would head up the congenital hand clinic at Labonner Children's Hospital. The magazine quoting Dr. Mock is saying the hand is how we interact with the outside world. And when your hand is involved, it affects almost every single thing you do. End quote. Apparently a passion he truly believed in, and an industry where he surely made his
2: mark. As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Mock was just named one of the top Memphis doctors. Take a listen to our Cut 5 WMC-TV.
0: Dr. Mock was just named one of the top doctors in Memphis by a nationally recognized group. And less than a week ago, Action News 5 talked to Dr. Mock about kids and fireworks safety for the 4th of July.
3: We can get the word out to keep kids, you know, uh, safe from fireworks. Uh, I think, you know, if any kid's hand saved, by the standpoint, it's worth it.
2: To Jen Smith joining us, chief investigative reporter at DailyMail.com. I'm just thinking about Dr. Mock saying, the hand is how we interact with the outside world. Um, It affects almost every single thing you do. Jen, he loved, loved, What he did. And he loved his family. I don't understand the motive behind shooting Dr. Mock dead. I don't understand how the shooter got back into that area. Uh, And had access to the doctor. What do we know about
4: how he got back
2: there, Jen? You
4: know, there are just so many unanswered questions. Uh, Still, Nancy, the local authorities who are handling this investigation are really being tight lipped on this one. They won't tell us what they believe the part's suspected motive is. They won't tell us how he got back there. Now, of course, if you're following the theory that this was someone who was looking for pain medication, could have been that he simply made an appointment with Dr. Mock. We don't know if this is a guy who had seen Dr. Mock before and therefore a staff had no reason to suspect him. We really don't know much at all about this guy, which is making this case, you know, all the more confounding.
3: Well Nancy, Jump in. Well, Nancy, uh, you know the the one question that I would ask and and the issue has been raised, you know how did this patient get back there? Uh, to see the doctor with a gun. And, and, and I think one of the things we can't ignore, sort of the elephant in the room, as far as I'm concerned, is that you know the state of Tennessee, they have no um, licensing or, 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 or permit scheme for, for possessing a handgun, either openly or concealed in the state. So, so an individual without a license, without a permit, can carry a concealed weapon uh, in the state of Tennessee. So, so you hide this gun on your on your person, and it's not even unlawful to do that. You go back into the office and you murder uh, a, a, an innocent doc. So, so, I mean, I, I think Tennessee has to take a look at itself uh, to a certain extent with regard uh, to this matter.
2: What more do we know about the incident? Take a listen to our Cut 11. This is the chief, Dale Lane, at Collierville PD.
3: We do have one fatality and probably all that uh, we're going to release at this point. We did conduct multiple searches of the facility, continue to make sure that it was secure, including we had our drone pilots fly the exterior of the building to ensure that we didn't have anyone that the suspect may have encountered. It's bad. It's horrific. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. Uh, we have made notification to them. And so we're going to continue to pray for them. And I, I would hope that uh, your viewers would do the same. But uh, that's, you know, out of respect for them and, and uh, those employees, we don't want to release, you know, the name. So it's not a mass
2: shooting. The shooter didn't take down people on his way out or on his way in. This was a targeted attack. On what we believe to be a beloved hand surgeon and family man so how does that jive with the facts that we know take a listen now to our cut
1: 21 action news 5 according to a police affidavit just after 2 p.m. Tuesday clinic staff said Pickens was quote being treated by dr. Benjamin mock when mr. Pickens removed a pistol from his waistband and fired three rounds at dr. mock Dr. Mark was found deceased inside an exam room with gunshot wounds to his chest, upper abdomen, and neck. Back to
2: you, Jen Smith, chief investigative reporter with DailyMail.com. We understand there was a good bit of planning that went into the shooting of Dr. Mark, husband and father, Apparently, the shooter came into the offices with a backpack, and in the backpack was the gun uh, and two empty magazines. He came locked and loaded,
4: specifically looking for Dr. Mock. He did. That's absolutely right. He knew exactly what he was doing. It seems like he knew exactly who he was looking for, Nancy. Take a listen
1: to
2: WREG-TV.
1: Police have not identified the suspect, describing the shooting as a one-on-one encounter that occurred inside an exam room. The gentleman that was with me, he actually saw the shooter run out of the building and he was letting the officers know that as we were still trying to get out of the building. A witness on scene told WREG the suspect had been threatening Dr. Malk for at least a week. Carville Police Chief Dale Lane said during the press conference the department had no knowledge of the alleged threats. I mean, Dr. Angie, uh, Dr. Angela Arnold joining
2: us, renowned right psychiatrist out of the Atlanta jurisdiction. Dr. Angie, when you are dealing with a patient, does it ever cross your mind, this patient
0: could kill me, this patient could attack me? There are some patients that it does cross your mind that that could happen. But what I don't understand is, If this guy, why do they know now that this guy was stalking this guy for a week and nobody protected the doctor from him going into his office? Why is that information coming out now, Nancy? I agree. If he had been threatened for a week, A, what's the motive? B,
2: why is he being threatened? And C, why did they let the guy in? Stories with Nancy Grace. Uh, we're trying to make sense of a, a seemingly senseless shooting of a husband, a father, and a renowned surgeon. What were you saying, Dr.
0: Angie? If there are active threats, then have a police officer, the presence of a police officer. Deters people from doing things like that. Have a police officer standing at the front desk. Why is everybody so afraid of having a police officer stand somewhere when someone's life is being threatened? You know what? We can't, we can't take these things lightly anymore, Nancy. And we also know
2: that the guy lay in wait. He waited for his chance to gun down this doctor. Is there some motive that has escaped us at this point? Guys, take a listen to our cut 15 WMC-TV
0: we begin with breaking news following the tragic death of a beloved collierville doctor the gunman who opened fire inside an exam room has officially been charged with murder and aggravated assault here he is this is 29 year old larry pickens collierville police say pickens lives in memphis and investigators are working with other agencies to see if there were any prior reports filed on pickens
2: jen smith joining us dailymail.com chief investigative
4: reporter jen how did they apprehend the shooter you know in the- in this case, Nancy, the local law enforcement really did do their job and they did it well. They arrested Pickens outside the clinic just a few minutes after this shooting took place. So he had shot the doctor, Dr. Mock. He then ran through the clinic, you know, breathing past all the other people who were in the waiting room. He's arrested outside. We've seen video from inside the clinic the moments afterwards where the cops are looking for him. And they end up taking him into custody right outside just a few minutes later. You
2: know, I'm just trying to figure out what was so important that this guy go in and he was ready. This was premeditated, Matthew Mangino. He goes in with a backpack. In the backpack is a gun, a handgun, and two magazines. He waits for his opportunity. Goes in, gets alone with a doctor in an exam room. And guns him down dead. We are waiting to determine: is there some other motive? You know what surprises me, Matthew, is that an assistant wasn't also killed because typically, when you've got one doctor in the room, there's an assistant in there.
3: Right. So, so we know, you know, from that uh, that this is specifically targeted at Dr. Mock. That this person went there prepared. Uh, and in a premeditated manner to kill Dr. Mock. The the, the uh, my concern is if if Dr. Mock was being threatened, you know why weren't the threats taken more seriously? And, and and I think that is something that this story really hits home on. You can't just blow off a threat. Not in 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 this uh, age. Not with all the um, you know, deadly killings uh, across the country, mass killings. You have to take every set threat seriously. Certainly, I know you don't want to have a doctor's office where you have a security guard sitting in the lobby. That doesn't make patients so comfortable necessarily, but you can't Just ignore a threat. And that's what this story tells us more than anything else.
2: Cops ID a suspect in the cold blooded shooting of a beloved Tennessee hand surgeon. And again, it's not the first time that doctors, nurses, caregivers have been attacked and killed. Take a listen to our cut. 18, our friends at CrimeOnline.com.
3: Stephen Passeri got to be friends with Dr. Michael Davidson when Dr. Davidson was treating Passeri's mother, Marguerite, for some pretty serious heart and lung issues. When Marguerite passed away, Stephen Passeri blamed Dr. Davidson for her death. Passeri became fixated on a lung medication the doctor prescribed to his mother, believing the medication caused a fatal complication. Stephen Passeri's brother Gregory told the Boston Globe that their mother's death was hard and his brother was destroyed by it. But he was still shocked when Stephen Passeri walked in Brigham and Women's Hospital asked to see Dr. Davidson. Then, seeing the doctor outside an examination room, Passeri pulled a gun and shot Dr. Davidson twice, killing the doctor before turning the gun on himself.
2: There you see a targeted attack on a doctor after his patient passes away and the patient's son blames the doctor. Now, is that any justification for murder? No, it's not. In fact, that is cold-blooded revenge. So what is the motive in the murder of Dr. Benjamin Mock? Again, it happens all too often. Take a listen to our Cut 19, our friends at Fox 5. Grief and shock permeate the Cartersville community. Attorney Antonio Mari was gunned down in his office Wednesday
0: afternoon.
3: And the doors were open for business uh, like they typically would be, uh, and that's when the uh, suspect came in and, and fired three shots.
0: Mari represented a woman in a divorce case Wednesday morning, and he felt threatened by his client's husband, Walt Radford. Radford shot Murray, then went to his wife's home, broke in through the back door,
2: and killed himself. In that case, a lawyer representing a client ends up stalked and murdered. Is that the case here? What was the reason behind this unpredictable shooting, but the staff in Mark's office recognized the shooter? Take a listen to Hour Cut
1: 20, Action News 5 this shooter who has been charged was a patient at campbell clinic a nurse practitioner telling police that she recognized him from previous visits now what caused him to allegedly fire his weapon that is still under investigation 29 year old larry pickens is facing first degree murder and aggravated assault charges so to jen smith
2: chief investigative reporter at dailymail.com The staff knew this
4: guy. He was absolutely a patient of Dr. Mock's. They did, yeah, absolutely. They recognized him, Nancy. They knew who this guy was. Now, as for what drove him to do this, of course, we still don't know that. But the fact that he had had contact with Dr. Mock before, that he was a patient, it really moves this one step further along in the investigation to explain what could have potentially happened here.
2: Dr. Gorniak, Dr. Jane Gorniak joining us, uh, medical examiner out of Clark County, that's in Vegas. Dr. Gorniak, when you were doing your rotations, uh, getting your medical degree, did you ever feel any fear of patients or
5: people that you would treat? I did not. And it's interesting is, I'm thinking back to my medical education, and I don't remember even being taught about safety—your own safety, not just patient safety, but your own safety. And I, as a forensic pathologist, obviously my patients aren't the ones I'm afraid of, um, but their families. And to give some insight, as being a physician, we're we're in our DNA to help. So. No matter how the patient approaches you or even those threats, um, why we don't take them seriously, because they're coming for us to help and we think that we can, we can help. So I've had some situations where I reacted first before actually thinking because my patients' families are number one to me and I had to tell them some bad news and I was actually sitting in the house and away from the front door. And had it not been for my patient's mother's sister holding her back, I may not have gotten out of the house. And then you think about, you know, the the patient's father was sitting next to me on the couch. There could have been a gun under the couch. And so the next time when I had to go to a, pay, a family member's home, then I brought the police with me because I'm thinking as a physician, I can talk, you know, I can talk my way out of whatever the situation was. I can be empathetic, I can be sympathetic, and they want that from me. But now I have a better insight of, especially with grieving people, you just never know. So you always have to take every, like someone said, take those threats seriously, even as benign as they think they are, you really have to, you know, take care of yourself and your own safety first, including the patient safety.
2: To Jen Smith, joining us, DailyMail.com. As we go to air now, the defendant has actually been in court. What happened?
4: He has, yeah. He made his first initial appearance, Nancy, in front of a judge in Collierville. It was a very quick appearance. Not much happened at all. He was brought in in an orange jumpsuit, He was wearing a medical mask and he was asked whether or not he could afford his bail, which has been set at $1.2 million. He he shrugged and he responded by saying, I'm not sure. I mean, I think we all know that he probably cannot afford this bail. Um, After that, he was taken back to custody and he's going to be back in court on July 20th, Nancy.
2: So he obviously is in his right mind saying, I don't know if I can afford that $1.2 million bond or not, Judge. He clearly knows what's going on. He was not out of his mind at the time he gunned down a renowned Memphis surgeon, leaving a wife and children now alone. We wait as justice unfolds.
0: Goodbye, friend.